0: Welcome to New Horizons podcast, Trailblazers. New Horizons is a national nonprofit that has served individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities since 1971. We believe that every person has a story to tell. This podcast will be a place for men and women from diverse backgrounds and with unique abilities to share their victories, challenges, and stories with the world. We hope you enjoy. A quick announcement before today's episode. The 2020 census is here, and it is incredibly important that people with disabilities and their families are ready to be counted. Please visit thearc.org/census to learn more. In today's episode, Lauren Piercy joins us to discuss the importance of the census to the disability community, the unique policy challenges posed by COVID-19, and her journey to become the director of public policy for the Tennessee Council on Developmental Disabilities. Lauren is incredibly talented, knowledgeable, and has been a tremendous resource and friend to New Horizons. I hope you enjoy.
1: I am Lauren Piercy. My role here in Tennessee is the Public Policy Director of the Tennessee Council on Developmental Disabilities, and I can explain more about the council, Andrew, if you want.
2: Sure. That, that'd that be great. I guess to get started, too, I, I'm excited to hear more about the council and your role specifically. But if you want to start by talking a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up, and, and your family, I'd love to hear more about that, too.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for asking. I am not a t- native Tennessean. I did marry a native Tennessean. So we are here um, around my family that I've married into, raising our own kids now. But I grew up all the way on the other coast in California, right outside of San Francisco in the wine country. i lived in Napa, city of Napa, and uh, my parents did not own a winery or anything. My mom was a nurse and my dad worked at a bank, but we did live there. And I grew up uh, pretty standard, you know, small town feel and public schools, but we were surrounded by world class vineyards and looking back it was it was pretty extraordinary.
2: Was that something that I guess was was prevalent or you were surrounded by? Did you learn a lot about wine while you were growing up? It's admittedly it's something that I know very little about.
1: I can <laughs> you know, differentiate between
2: white and red. That's about it.
1: It's funny, I am not at all skilled in wine or have good taste in wine. Uh the most exposure I got was when I was in high school working at different catering companies in the summers uh, we would cater different events at wineries and um, and that was pretty much it. Some of my friends lived on wineries, which looking back was really cool but I left when I was eighteen to go to college, so that was before I could enjoy wine Mm -hmm. and then I haven't lived there since I ended up going to Washington DC right after college and then here to Nashville right after Washington DC so really now when I visit I feel like a tourist and I fully enjoy learning from other people but I am certainly not an expert myself
2: what a, a beautiful place to, to grow up to. I'm sure that's one of those things that you don't always appreciate as a, as a exactly. kid growing up. But I had back. no
1: idea, <laughs> but I do enjoy visiting now.
2: So you went to D.C. and you got your, your master's degree in public policy from George Washington. Is that correct?
1: That's right. That's right. Yes. I was working full time while I got my master's. So I actually started as an administrative assistant at the National Governors Association fresh out of college. And got a lot of education there, working um sure. for, for anyone who's listening and doesn't isn't familiar with that organization. All governors, including Tennessees, belong to the National Governors Association as their their own trade association that they can talk to each other and um get ideas from each other on different topics. So I worked there. For six years, the whole time I was in D.C., and while I was there, I got my master's in public policy. So I consider that job as much of an education as George Washington, Mm -hmm. actually.
2: I'm sure. And what was your your favorite part about living in D.C.? I know we've talked about this a little bit, but I was there just for slightly over a year before I I moved back to Nashville. But it's it's an incredible place to, to live.
1: That's right. I know. It's been fun to compare notes, you and I, when we've connected on our times in D.C. And I just I was there through a presidential election in 2008 and 2012. So I got to actually go to inaugurations in person. And I got to through friends who worked on the Hill. I never did. But uh, go to receptions and and different events. And um, I always felt like we were living the national news right there in person. Mm-hmm. So that was my favorite part.
2: I know it was always really cool. I was a, a legislative aide while I was there and be interesting, even if it was C-SPAN, which maybe 20 people are watching <laughs> at a time,
1: right.
2: um, seeing something on TV and be like, Oh, that's in the bottom floor of the building I'm in right now. Yes, that was
1: exactly. Or right. I know those. that person in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah. Someone's on their phone in the background right there. So when you were getting your, your master's degree in public policy, did you know or did you have an idea that you might want to go into disability policy specifically, or how did you come to this field?
1: Yeah, that's one of my favorite questions because I think mine, my story is a little bit unusual, although a lot of people do say that they, they didn't expect to end up in the field, and I, I do love that about our field. But I did not know. I went into my public policy degree not knowing and being very confident that I would always be a generalist because I really like how pieces of public policy fit together. I'm less of a one issue type of person and more of a, how can this all work together so um, that the whole puzzle works really well. So I always looked at it from a governor's lens, probably because I worked at the national governor's association and that's kind of how I was trained. And of course, governors have to care about every single policy issue and um Then while the last year that I was there, I didn't know it would be my last year at the National Governors Association. By the way, this is after my master's was completed. The whole time I was at my master's, I guess to answer your question directly, is I was just a generalist. But then Mm -hmm. at my last year at the National Governors Association, I was assigned to the chair's initiative, which is the one governor of the whole nation gets to be the chairman or woman of the association and have a pet project called the chair's initiative for one year. And it puts a national spotlight on one topic. And the the chair was Jack Markell of Delaware, and he decided to do employing people with disabilities as his chairman's initiative. And that was the first time disability had ever been a chair's initiative. It's usually something more broad like education or um, career and technical pathways, economic development. And so it was actually a little bit unusual and a little bit frowned upon to have a more niche issue. At least that's the way it was looked upon by the NGA leadership. And so I just, I'm convinced that's why I was assigned to it because I was a very junior staff person and I don't think anyone else wanted to staff that initiative. They didn't think it was sexy enough. And uh, so I rolled up my sleeves and I was so fortunate just by virtue of being at that level, you know, staffing a governor who was the chair of the NGA, I got meetings with all the nation's top disability experts. And I would never get those meetings today, even, you know, now that I'm a little bit more seasoned. So I really got my education um, for a year by going to You know, meetings all over the country with states. That's how I met the folks I ended up getting a job from here in Tennessee. Fast forward a few years. And I um, really was steeped in this one issue. And it was, it was a pretty niche issue because it wasn't just policy and people with disabilities or the field of disability. It was really employing people with disabilities. So that's how I came into the field, was looking at that particular issue. And I think it spoke to the generalist in me because our field really does need everything to fit together in order to work for a person with a disability. And there are unique issues, but there are also issues that just make everything work better for everyone. So I was hooked. And by the time I moved to Tennessee um, with my then-fiancé, he got a job before I did. So I just started meeting with the people who I ended up working for, like Patty Killingsworth at 10Care and Jordan Allen at DIDD and Wanda Willis, who's now my executive director at the Council on Developmental Disabilities. These are still people who run our uh, big parts of our disability system here in Tennessee, and I was just very lucky. I couldn't have planned it that way, but I I knew them from my position, and, um, and the rest is history. I've just been so enamored by this field and by our community here in Tennessee, which I think is extraordinary.
2: I've, I, as you know, I'm newer to the, the field and to New Horizons also, so it's been really humbling to see how, how helpful everyone's been and kind of welcoming and, and connecting me to, to yourself and Dr. Carter and all, all sorts of different actors yes. in this field. Ha, probably had your name mentioned to me by seven or eight different people by this oh. time. so glad we're getting That's- you on an episode.
1: I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for telling me that.
2: So So that's how I came, yeah. mm -hmm, Awesome. And I know you mentioned earlier the the Council on Disabilities and and your role as Director of Public Policy. Do you want to speak to a little bit of both the the council's role and and your role inside of the council?
1: Yes. And, um, you know, it's funny, and I haven't shared this with many people, but it's one of the first jobs I applied for from D.C. before I moved and I think I mentioned that I did move here without a job, was the Director of Public Policy for the Council on Developmental Disabilities. So, councils on developmental disabilities exist in every state, and they're very well known for being kind of the system connector within state government. So, they don't just look at one issue. They look across the system and across the lifespan. And their mission is to make policies work better for people with developmental disabilities. So I applied, and uh, Wanda, our executive director, who is also renowned nationally, I'm so proud to work for her, said, I'm so sorry, the position has already been filled, and I don't know why that posting is still up, So, um, but let's stay connected. And so, like I said, when I moved here, I was already connected with her, and we had coffee every single month for years. And she really mentored me in this field and in Tennessee's community. But um, so that that happened, and then I ended up with a wonderful position at TenCare as my first job here. And then fast forward three years, the in 2016 the position as public policy director came open again, and that's when I took it. So I really feel like I was destined to be in this position. I just needed to wait until the right time. Um, and so I am really, really proud to work for this organization. I think it's a good fit for me. As I've explained, I'm really kind of a systems level thinker. I like seeing how everything fits together and um, and taking a really broad view, although my time at Care was critical to me understanding the Medicaid system. Um, so I'm very grateful for that experience. But the council not only is a small staff in state government that looks across the system we have 21 citizen members so people like who might be listening to your podcast who either experience disability directly themselves or may have a family member govern our work as they function a lot like a board so they they live across the state not just here in Nashville And they have all sorts of diverse experiences as far as different types of disabilities, different ages. Like I said, some are family members, some are people with disabilities, and they are the ones who help us understand what's really happening in the field. Sure, you may understand what the policy says, but what's really (laughs) being experienced by Tennesseans? Mm -hmm. And so they guide our priorities, and I really like that connection. I think that's the really special part of the council.
2: That's awesome. And so in your role, I know right now is probably a very interesting time to to be the director of public policy during during COVID-19 and stay at home and everything. And I know you you kind of generalized from an employment, I guess, focus while you were in D.C. to to general policy. And so how has it changed and what are kind of the I guess the policy issues or the areas you're emphasizing during during this stay at home order during COVID-19?
1: Yeah, so pretty much every single area of policy you can imagine has changed. So keeping track of that has kept me very busy, and I've really leaned on our partners in this community in Tennessee and nationally uh, to help identify issues. Um, But really what I've leaned on most is our council members that I just mentioned. So right after the pandemic really took hold and the stay-at-home orders went into place and our world changed, it was mid-March to late March, we surveyed our council members and said, what are the policy issues that are affecting you right now? What's on your mind? What are you struggling with day-to-day? And what questions do you have for policymakers? I'm summarizing, but those were pretty much the questions in our mm-hmm. brief survey. And we got 18 out of 21 responses back, and from there, really prioritized our work from their responses. And it's a small sample size, of course, but it really is designed to be the window into Tennessee's disability community. And I'll tell you, it's striking how consistent the issues that they raise are with the national issues that we hear on national calls. So that's kind (laughs) of how we've organized our work for the last few months.
2: And one of the things that I know we faced here at New Horizons and even my family has faced in, in other ways, too, is the, all the different fallout and consequences of the stay-at-home and, and general public safety. And one of those is hospital visitors. When when someone's in the hospital, have you seen specifically in the disability community, or is there a way that y'all are thinking through those those challenges right now?
1: Yes, that is an issue that has bubbled up, in fact, after we we made the survey, I don't think anyone anticipated that hospitals would be so strict about policies um, not letting visitors in. And of course, all of us can understand why hospitals are doing that. But for people with disabilities, those of us in the field understand that a person with you is not a visitor. A person with you is essential. And um, it's an accommodation. So That is a huge issue that we've been working on. And for listeners who want to keep track of these issues, we do a policy newsletter every week. And I really um, outline not only what we're doing as the council to work with the Department of Health and the governor's office to change some of these policies, but what's happening nationally. Um, For example, many states have issued guidance that we can look to and adopt in Tennessee. Um, So I would say... Go to the Council on Developmental Disabilities website. You can Google that or um, it's tn.gov slash cdd and sign up for our newsletters. And um, we, we publish all of this that's changing in real time every single week.
2: We at New Horizons and, and myself and a couple others are consistently checking that also. Um, one of the things, so it's really been interesting to me how both business and really every part of society community is, been impacted in some some surprising and I guess some expected ways by by COVID nineteen and a couple of the ones I was I was thinking about too is for the upcoming election because it's interesting and in just the world that we live in now how dominated the media is by by politics and of course you and I living in D C we know that all too well. Um, how how have you seen the upcoming election impacted? And I know there's the absentee val, uh, voting challenges and yes. the census and all those things rolled into one. Um, how have you seen those challenges, particularly through the disability lens?
1: Yes, thank you for asking. I think one of the themes that came out of our council member survey that's very consistent with what we're hearing throughout the state and even nationally is that people with disabilities are uniquely worried about exposure to the virus because of compromised immune systems and dependence on met for many dependence on staff to come into their house um, for services that they need every day. And so there's already an inherent risk to exposure for people who are in services, uh, but going to a polling place or um, even going out to uh, any errand is just really extra scary and ex- and people are extra vulnerable um if you have a disability not to mention all the accessibility issues that already exist without a pandemic so i do think that um we risk if we're not really really supportive of people with disabilities in our policies and our practices we really risk alienating the disability community this election because people will be too afraid to go to their polling places and um and then I'll, I'll address the census separately because it, they are the issues are a lot similar. But what I will say is look into absentee voting so that you can participate in the election without compromising your health or risking your health. Um, there are valid excuses for absentee voting that include being a caregiver or a person with a disability or being ill. So if you are ill, that is a definite excuse, especially if you're hospitalized. That is an automatic, you can use an absentee ballot. It's a little bit more complicated and actually unclear to be honest, if you have a disability because the way the law defines disability is physical disability. So if you do have a diagnosed physical disability, if you use a wheelchair, if it's an obvious physical disability, that's another guaranteed excuse. Go ahead and use an absentee ballot and don't risk exposure. However, if you have an intellectual disability or if you have autism and, um, or if your loved one does, it may, it may feel a little bit less clear. Even if you have a sensory disability like you are deaf, um, what counts as a physical disability in our law? And that's just not well defined in our law. So Disability Rights Tennessee is the very best authority on this issue. They're working really hard with the Secretary of State's office and the Election Commission to try to work out some of these issues. But if you do have questions and you want your personal situation um, looked at, you can contact Disability Rights Tennessee intake line, and they can help do some consultation and guide you. Um, But I would say if you are nervous about voting, try to see if you – or a match for an absentee ballot, because not voting is not a good option. Your mm-hmm. everything, <laughs> everything from your Medicaid to transportation depends on the people making those decisions, so definitely vote. And Andrew, do you want me to go ahead and go into the census topic? That'd
2: be great, yes. Thank you.
1: It's really related. I would say the same goes for filling out the census. You don't have to go anywhere in person, which is the good news, Um, but the census is every 10-year count of all Americans, and that certainly includes people with all types of developmental and intellectual disabilities, any type of disability. So um, if you didn't get a census form mailed to you, you can go online to census.gov and um, answer some questions or read some information about how to submit uh, the census online. But the important thing is to do it and to make sure that you do get counted by submitting a census form because the fewer people that the census counts, the less money they will allocate to your community, and that includes all sorts of disability services. So. You really need to be counted in order to make sure that our communities are fully funded and can support the people who live in them, including people with disabilities.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for, for helping explain that, Lauren. And also to, to generalize again for the last couple questions, one one question I had is, is very generally just what? is uh, your hope or maybe a goal of yours for the future of the disability community here in Tennessee? I know you've moved around a lot, but hopefully we can convince you to stay in Tennessee for a while. For the local disability community, do you have any specific hopes for the future?
1: Yeah, and I will say I'm definitely a Tennessean at heart. I feel so at home here and and will be here for now the rest of my kids' life, um, now that we're raising them here. So my hope is that we move closer and closer to having people with disabilities live the same lives that everyone else lives. And I really think that technology, if I had to boil it down to one thing, technology is a great connector. I, I just hope that as my kids grow up, they're in classes with other kids who may not even speak using words but have an iPad and, and have these incredible innovations that actually DIDD has been really leading on one that comes to mind is a, an app called VoiceIt, which helps people who may not be able to articulate words in a way that most people can understand. But this app can can speak for the person and kind of translate for the person. And the technology that's available on just regular iPads and smartphones should revolutionize the way we interact and include people with disabilities. So I hope that as my kids grow up here. Um, People with all types of disabilities, even those we consider very significant, are just right alongside my kids at every event, sporting event, graduation, prom. Um, I just, I hope that the gap where right now it feels like there's two parallel tracks, I hope that those come together.
2: Mm, Absolutely. One thing that's been pretty striking is, of course, Lately, social media and technology can quite often be the, the boogeyman for a lot of different <sighs> issues in our society, but it's, it's fortunate that we have had a lot of these Zoom and Skype and different opportunities to stay connected at a, at a distance with work colleagues and friends and family. It's been, I guess, fortunate that it happened now as opposed to 10 years ago when we wouldn't have had all those same opportunities and might have felt even slightly more isolated than mm-hmm. it has felt for some people.
1: So it's such a good point. And actually, that goes right with, I think, the vision I have is actually COVID-19 might accelerate that. So for all the horrible things that we're going through right now, I really hope that one silver lining is that we start bridging this, this divide and, and everyone uses social media and everyone uses um, these technologies to connect to each other, regardless of what kind of disability you have. Mm
2: -hmm. Me too. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're busy. I think just about every other call I get on at some point you are mentioned or or hop on whether it's the (laughs) Arctic or something. So I know you've got a busy schedule, but one little more lighthearted question to end is I'm curious what the the first thing you're going to do is when it's safe to go out and, and everything opens back up here, hopefully sooner rather than later.
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, As much as I love my little toddlers, we are going to get a babysitter and go do something and just have a quiet adult conversation (laughs) and probably get our house professionally cleaned, which we desperately need having all four of us home all the time. (laughs)
2: I bet. Uh, Well, Lauren, thanks again so much for joining. I'm excited to work together again soon, and hopefully we can have you out to New Horizons once everything is
1: safe and,
2: and clears back up.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much for doing this. It's a great forum for people to connect.
2: Thanks, Lauren. Hope you have a great rest of your day.
1: You too. Bye.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Lauren. If you'd like to learn more about the issues Lauren addressed, the Council on Disabilities, or of course, New Horizons, please visit our website or email us at podcast at newhorizonsls.org Thanks for listening and stay tuned for next week's episode.